I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Playoffs? We're here, Tyler. We're here. We're here, and we're and we're in. I'm going to say we as if I'm a member of the Packers team. Maybe you have a little bit more respect. You, you have a few more credentials to do that, but we, the Green Bay Packers, are in the playoffs, and it is such a good feeling to one have made the playoffs as a Packers fan, and then two. I feel like there are no expectations on the Packers now that they're actually in the play. Like they've done the thing and now you can watch with like you're playing with house money is how it feels. Yeah. Like, dude, they have absolutely nothing to lose. The youngest team in NFL history to make the playoffs. And now they're going to Dallas, who has everything to lose. Dallas is playing at home. They have lost some games this year that they shouldn't have. This is a weird matchup for Dallas, too. If you look back a few weeks ago, the Bills just ran for almost 300 yards on them. And what do the Packers do really well with Aaron Jones? They run the damn ball. So I guarantee you this is the last matchup in the first round of the playoffs that the Cowboys wanted. And look, Cowboys favored to win. On paper, they should win. But dude, there is nothing more dangerous than a team with nothing to lose and feeling like they can beat anybody anywhere. Hey, we got some action this weekend, but I'm excited to dive into it. I think we got to start talking off, start this off with the uh, the coaches though. I know it's happened immediately in the case of Arthur, Arthur hey. Smith. We, we we have a group chat going and I was going to bed last night here in Central Time. It was 11.01 and somebody sends mm-hmm. a text through that Arthur Smith had already been fired. So they wasted no time. Midnight, Eastern Time, Arthur Smith was out the door, the, the first chance they got. I know you're probably doing a little victory lap on this one. I know you and Arthur were... We're not the best of friends, just from a you know purely fan to coach perspective. But how are you yeah. feeling now that the uh, the Arthur Smith reign is finally over? I'm just glad it's over. Like, let's just cut. I'm I'm a big cut the cut to the chase kind of guy. I'm like, he's not doing a good job. He's mismanaging a roster that has been gifted to him to go and take the South. Couldn't do it. He's not fit to be a head coach right now. Maybe maybe down the line, maybe he'll like change his ways. But with what we've seen the last few years, he's not fit to be a head coach. So why waste your time? Arthur Blank pulled the trigger. I think it was a great decision. I think what they need is a young, creative offensive mind that can play with the fun toys that they have in Atlanta and maybe go and get a quarterback in the first round. Like, that's what I want to see. They got a good pick. I think they're slated to be seventh overall pick. They're the, like they're the eighth pick. Ironically the enough, pick. yeah, in Arthur Smith's tenure, they finished, I believe it was eight and nine every single year, finishing with the eighth seven pick and every single year, seven and 10 every year, finishing with the eighth pick every single year. So consistent mediocrity from Arthur Smith and the Falcons. Yep. Hey, stacked them up a few good first round picks. Now that this next guy is going to be able to use, but you look at guys like Bobby Slowick with the Texans. What has he been able to do with that roster? A young quarterback, young stud receivers, like a young team, the Falcons offensive, like put together how they're built is a lot better on paper than the Texans minus quarterback. If they can go find their quarterback, maybe a Jaden Daniels, who knows, maybe he slides, maybe, I don't know. We'll see what they decide to do, but this year more than most seems like a heavy quarterback year. There's some good options. Go give them a system with a coach that's young and willing to adapt, and we'll see what happens. And the South is there for the taking. The Saints, not really doing a whole lot. The Bucks like, dragged their way into the playoffs. And then you have the Panthers, who will be doomed to misery for the next 10 years. Easy. I mean, this is a this is a job, in my opinion. If for all these these places we look at like these coaching vacancies, the Falcons' job is a that's a like a coveted one right now with the way the roster is set. I feel like you could make the argument that it is one of the two, if not the top job. I, I know a lot of people are now talking about the Chargers as the most desirable mm-hmm. location. A lot of people are talking about it in the context of where will Jim Harbaugh go? He seems to yeah. be the coveted coaching candidate here, but. 
you know, like you outlined with that divisional situation in the NFC South, it's not like you have to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year if you go out to LA. I mean, that, that is your division. If you yeah. draft the right quarterback at number eight, which you mentioned, there's a ton of guys that you could at least get one of them. You have the capital to maybe move up and get one yep. of the top two guys if you really want it. And totally. it seems like it's a good enough organization that it's probably not the worst job out of all of these, obviously. No, dude, I, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And I think this really goes heavily into like, as we get into these draft predictions, combine stuff, like we're going to be covering all of that through this offseason. I just think, look, the Texans had a full overhaul and a lot of new faces this year. Seemingly lost their franchise quarterback to Sean Watson, right? Like he was everything that they had. They just won the division year one of this new regime. There's no reason why the Falcons can't have a new regime that gets it right and go and win out and actually become a dominant force in the South. Because, like, you got Bijan, you got Pitts, you got Drake London, you got a good defense, you got a good O-line. Like, you need a quarterback and a coach. And that's, like, the staple in the league right now. If you were to just go and close your eyes and pick teams to win based on quarterback and coach, most of the time you're going to win game. Most of the time you're going to win those predictions, right? Like, that's all that they're missing. They have a favorable division. Hey, I like it. I, I like what's happening down there in Atlanta. And I think Arthur Blank sees what's possible right here, right now. So Arthur Smith, the misery is over for all of us fantasy football players, football fans in general. Do you think he has a place in the NFL again? We, we often work with this coaching carousel where yeah. retread seem to get second, third, fourth chances. Obviously, he kind of flamed out in this first opportunity. So maybe there's never a chance for him again. But where does a guy like Arthur Smith end up now you know, starting next year? Dude, I... I don't know. Like, I don't think it's as an offensive play caller. I'll tell you that. Cause that like, that didn't go over so hot. And is he going to be able to take the shot to the ego to be an assistant coach? Like a position coach, like an offensive line coach, maybe like a tight end. Co I mean, I don't know. I just, I think guys like him, in my opinion, they make their bed and they got to sleep in it with how they, you know, act in the media, how they, I guess he seemed very, and again, I'm not, I was never inside that building with him. So I don't know how he treated people, but from everything that I've heard from other people, other players that have been around him, it's very much like he has the final say, his way of the highway at the end of the day, and he's going to revert back to what he knows best, which is running the ball. That's just that's what he does. So where does that fit in in the landscape of the NFL where there's these young up-and-coming coordinators coming out of nowhere that are like explosive, creative, like all the things you want to see in your team? I don't know where he fits. And I think – I don't know. If And now again, I'm super biased. I will be the first to say it. I hate how he calls football games and I hate his scheme. So I don't <laughs> think there's a place, but sure. who knows? Who knows? Maybe, you know, we had Mike McCarthy go sit in his basement for a year and apparently watch a bunch of football and then gets rehired by the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. So if I, there's know, a willingness see, to change, if there's a willingness to change. I did see his amount, amount of money he's going to make every single day for the next three years because he signed a six-year deal. I think it's like $17,000 a day for the next three years. Those are, those are always so interesting. And then they're, of course, offset. So oftentimes what's written in those contracts is that, one, there's an offset that happens. So if he goes and gets a job somewhere else, I don't know what his annual contract was. Let's say it was $6 bucks, and he goes and gets hired mm -hmm. somewhere for $2 million. That means the Falcons will have to pay him the difference, the $4 million. But yep. he's still swimming in it. You don't have to feel bad for him. And then there's also a clause that he has to be actively looking for a job in order to get that money that was guaranteed to him paid out. Yeah. So he won't be going into hiding, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure he'll be yeah. out there trying to buff up the old resume or the, or the cover yeah. letter so that he can, he can make that however yeah. mil, million dollars he's guaranteed. He's definitely going to cash in. He'll, he'll definitely cash in. I just like, I hope that this for him, 
I just, I just think, dude, how it ended with the Saints, like, I get it, dude. It was a, a victory formation handoff. Mm. I get that. Like, I get that's annoying. But to show your ass like a child and, like, storm midfield and yell at the coach, when your team didn't show up this week, they haven't showed up most of the year, and you've been so underprepared in the modern day of the NFL – to like that be what your focus of like your emphasis and your anger and all of that was just in that moment. It just felt so like, I think Josh Allen called a microcosm of their entire season was that moment of him storming midfield, looking like a kid who got Mm -hmm. his toy stolen and is just angry at everybody and won't even hear anything out. I just, yeah, I'm obviously a hater, right? Like I get that I'm biased, (laughs) but I think, I think I'm rightfully so a hater, like most Atlanta Falcons fans out there. Yeah, I know we're going to talk about it later, but I do want to get your thoughts on that debacle at the end of the game where Mm -hmm. the Saints have it at the one-yard line. Jameis seemingly rallies the troops in the huddle, calls an audible instead of going out and kneeling the ball. They're in victory formation. Jameis turns around, hands it to Jamal Williams, and then that you know, chaos at midfield ensues where Mm -hmm. Arthur Smith comes out and just berates Dennis Allen, who we now find out, didn't even call that play to happen. It was all Jameis and the player's decision. Yeah. What do you think about that? There's a lot of layers to unpack there, but I suppose you'll be coming at it from inside the huddle. Like how, how does something like that even go down? <clears throat> yeah, I think, again, I saw Shannon Sharp say like, Jameis needs to be cut immediately. That wouldn't happen mm-hmm. on my team. Even when as far as they say, look, if that was happening on my watch, I would have jumped offside so we would have lost five that. yards. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, you're just saying shit for clicks. If you were in that huddle with a guy that had been busting his ass all year long, led the led the NFL in touchdowns last year, was asked to move to fullback for the betterment of the team, and it's the last game of the year against a division rival. You don't think it would have been kind of funny to score a touchdown and give it to your guy and how much he would have appreciated it? Like, I, I respect the shit out of Jameis Winston for it. It may not be the most publicly acceptable way to score a touchdown. They probably should have lined up in a shotgun formation and like try to make some shit cook. They went, they did victory. Yeah. But again, if Dennis Allen would have seen them line up in shotgun after calling victory, they, he probably would have called a timeout and it never would have happened. So, and let's not put all this on Jameis Winston. There are other leaders in that huddle. There's a starting offensive line in that huddle. There's other captains in that huddle that all went along with it. So Jameis Winston will be the fall guy because he's the quarterback and he's the one who publicly like spoke about it. But look, man, at the end of the day, if you're worried about getting your ass kicked and an extra seven points being put on you from that type of formation on the one yard line, like you have big, you have bigger problems clearly on both sides. And I mean, Mike McDaniel put up 70 on Sean Payton earlier in the year. It just, dude, we're worried about the wrong shit if that's going to be the media headline because Jamal Williams ended up scoring a touchdown. That's At the end of the day, that's just what happened. They were on the one-yard line. The players said, hey, F that. We're going to go give our guy the ball so he can get his first touchdown of the year as a saint because he's a selfless player that puts his body on the line every single week. That's actually what happened. And that's that's the end of it. Be mad at yeah. him all you want, but it's not that deep. I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like the nuance of the argument is that they did come out in victory formation, and so mm-hmm. if you're on the Falcon side of the ball, like you're probably not even expecting something's going to happen, and all of a sudden no. you're getting pushed. Like there's maybe injury concerns there. You know, I'm not going to defend Arthur Smith. I don't like the guy as much as you don't like yeah. the guy, but it is a little like I think one like lineup mano we mano. If you're going to try to score a touchdown, yeah. I don't think he would have come out and been that animated and that upset if they would have just run him straight up. But it did totally. seem a little. 
it seemed a little cheeky what they were trying to do. It was and, totally cheeky. And like, he didn't know cheeky. the context in the moment, right? Yeah. He didn't know. He thought maybe they're just clowning him. Obviously, we now know the full context, but yeah. in the moment, he's he knows he's going to get fired and it looks like they just got clowned. Yeah. And I also think like if that's going to be a reaction of like kicking and screaming, what does that say? What message does that send of how you like accept defeat, adversity, things that don't go your way, whatever. It's for him to like, oh, like he looked like he was going to try to punch the guy. And I'm like, who are you right now? Because he he was like aggressively storming midfield, like a pitcher or like a hit, like a batter that just got hit with a ball. Like, I don't know, man. It just, I think it's a bad look. And I think it just says everything that we've been like thinking and kind of maneuvering around all year about the state of what he was doing in Atlanta. Yeah, he did himself no favors at the end. Moving on to another coach who got fired today, one who was much less animated on the sidelines all year. Uh, Riverboat Ron Rivera gets canned in Washington. It seems like it's now the you know the final outing of the old guard, the Dan Snyder. Washington Commanders are finally yeah. it's a clean slate, and Josh Harris, the new owner, now has looks like a new quarterback they can draft for the number two pick, a new coach that they can hire as well. With all that considered, is this an attractive job? I know Washington has not had a great history in the last 20 years, but it seems like with all the momentum they have, at least from yeah. an ownership perspective, it seems like a pretty good job for you know an aspiring coach or maybe even a Jim Harbaugh. It's it's more attractive than it was a year ago. And I think part of it is like that that franchise does have history. And I think having a franchise that has history is something that is like, you can't really put a monetary value on that. Like, I think that's what changes in my opinion from them and the chargers. Like at least, you know, there's history and you can go like try to revive that history. I also think the giants are abysmal and like, who knows what they'll look like next year. The Eagles are on a downturn. The Cowboys are them right now. And all in all it's, you can go in and be competitive. I will say they traded away their two stud DNs that were like the anchors of that defense. So like you have a little more rebuilding in my opinion there, then you would like, I don't know if they're ready to win next year or the year after, but again, Houston showed they could do it. So you got to have somebody that's going to go nail the draft, nail the off season. And at least they do have a clean slate. That is, that's something to look after in some of these coaches. I don't think it's going to be the most favorable job, um, but I do think it's going to be higher than some of these others. How much of this comes down to how much power a coach might get in the organization? Because it seems like all of the success comes down to the quarterback that you draft and Washington has the yep. number two pick. So if they wanted to, they can move up and unclear if the bears are going to actually select a quarterback with their first overall pick. And you just mentioned the Texans who were the second worst team in the league last year, mm -hmm. they get, it, they get it right with CJ Stroud. And all of a sudden we're talking about their OC for a head coaching job, D'Amico Ryan's for coach of the year. Meanwhile, you have Atlanta who has all the skill position talent in the world and they don't have a quarterback and Arthur yeah. Smith is getting fired. So how much of these conversations do you think are happening where it's like, okay, hey, Jim Harbaugh, if you come here, we're just going to let you pick the yeah. quarterback that you want? Because it, it seems like that would be the real tipping point. That's That, I think, is the real tipping point for a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who's already been around the rodeo once. Like it's He's coming back to the NFL off of a very lucrative college contract to go have that Belichick type of ownership around the whole operation. So I also think the teams that are looking to court Harbaugh around are willing to do that. Um, I also will say that that's a lot of responsibility on one person and that's, that is a full-time job for one person. So for him to do that, be the head coach, I doubt he'll do any play calling. Who knows? Like we'll, we'll figure out what happens there. But, um, if you're going to have that be your thing, you've got to make sure that the hires underneath of you as OC and DC 
are going to be lights out rock star type of guys um, that I think are going to be willing to be there for two to three years. Because that's, I think that's when you get into that revolving door of offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. We're like, okay, you have success and then you got to get them out. And I don't know. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see because some of these teams, like I look at the Falcons, the Falcons wouldn't be doing that for Harbaugh. I don't even know if they'd be going after a guy like Harbaugh. They want an offensive minded guy. That's going to like be creative, right? Like, I'm not saying Harbaugh is not going to have success in the NFL again. I think he's going to be successful, but I'm also like, I don't know if that's like the flavor of style of coach slash full throttle GM that some of these teams with these young rosters are going to need. So I'm interested to see how it all plays out, but that's my, my sideways answer to to your question. But um, there's going to be teams that, that need him. And then there's some teams that don't need that type of full ownership. So I'm excited to see how it plays out just like everybody else. Yeah, it seems like the chess pieces are lining up in Washington, at least. They just, Josh yeah. Harris just brought in Bob Myers, who was an award winner. I mean, he won executive yeah, year a couple times in Golden State. And apparently there's already a connection with Bob Myers and Jim Harbaugh's new contract, or new agent, rather, Don Yee, who's an NFL-tied agent. And so the uh, the things are mo- it's moving quickly, at least in yeah. Washington. And that's the benefit of firing your coach early, right? Like now yeah. the, the commanders get to get first crack at Harbaugh, who you know probably is not taking a call yeah. until... Tuesday after the <laughs> yeah. national championship, but at the very least they're, they're first in line. Yep. And it's, I'm like, I'm excited to see how it plays out. But again, you look at, I'm just, I'm just, look, you heard it here first. I think Harbaugh is a great coach, but nobody is above, like nobody as a human is above how hard it is to win games in the NFL consistently and to build things from the ground up. So like, look at Sean Payton, everyone thought, Oh, Sean Payton, rockstar hire, whatever. Like, I was skeptical from the beginning with him, just was never a fan of his while he was in New Orleans. And now you look at it and they're into what, going into their second year and they're like, oh, there's some question marks. Like we just paid him a lot of money and like couldn't do it year one. So like, let's hope year two we get it. And I'm like, some of these situations are really far gone. And the Broncos, for one, in my opinion, roster wise, were pretty far gone in a division that's a tough division. So like if I'm Harbaugh, I would look at it reverse. I don't even want all of the power. Give me a really good GM that I work really well with and let me go do what I do best, which is coach and get the right people around me in the building so that everyone can do their job better. And that's what I think they've done really well in Michigan. Like from all the reports, the people that talk about him as a person, it's how he treats people, the people he has around him. And it's like the whole operation is really, really succinct. And I'm like, dang, I could see him taking a roster that's already pretty decent, like the Chargers maybe, um, I don't really want him to go to the Raiders. I'm, I'm not like, I don't love it over there. I think uh, their coach they have right now is the interim should be the guy. But um, I would I would like to see Harbaugh not go and just take the overall command of everything, but go take a situation that's already favorable and go elevate it. It's going to be so interesting to see how this all plays out because you have yeah. in the draft order right now, you have one, two, and three, three teams who might have different coaches and largely front offices by the time they're picking in the spring. You have Chicago, who mm-hmm. we're not sure if Iberflu stays around. Obviously, Ron Rivera just got fired in Washington. And Bill Belichick might be out in yeah. uh, in New England, and they're at number three. So one, it's interesting that the people who are in those jobs now might not even have the picks later on. Uh, yep. I think another interesting wrinkle here is Harbaugh has done this before, where he's teased yeah. going into the NFL. Last year, he interviewed for the Denver job. 
and then they inevitably traded for Sean Payton. So he's flirted with this before, and he always seems to do it as a way to just get a pay raise at Michigan, and he's done that mm-hmm. already. There's a contract sitting at the table on the table for him for some yeah. outrageous amount of money with the stipulation that he does not leave in a year to go to the NFL. He's, he's barred from doing that. But I think the team that has the most success in this coaching carousel, because there's going to be like 10 to 12 teams that need a new coach, so it's going to be super competitive is going to be the one that doesn't sit around and wait for Harbaugh to make his decision. Yeah. Cause I could see him drawing that process out. Like if he goes in interviews with eight different teams, that's going to take a while. Meanwhile, you yeah. could be the Atlanta Falcons and hire Bobby Slowick and have a really, really good head coach and get your first crack at it while not sitting around and waiting for a yeah. guy who might not even come to the NFL and coach. So it'll be interesting 100%. to see how many teams get spurned if he does not in fact come to the NFL. Yeah, dude. And I'm just like, <clears throat> I like to think of this like in a different frame of mind where like, okay, let's fast forward a year from now. He's not Harbaugh, the coveted coach coming from Michigan that we got to lure him out. He's an NFL coach that has been in the league now, re-been in the league for another year. And he's at the same level of everybody else where he just has to win games. Is he, is he going to be that? Like, is he going to be like this Andy Reid, whatever, like that just year over year finds ways to do it? Maybe. But you don't get the benefit of the doubt after year one. You're just another coach in the NFL that just has to perform and do your job. And so I think right now people are like lore, like in love with like the lore and like the mysticism of like, oh my God, is Harbaugh going to come out? He's been crushing it in Michigan, blah, 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 like whatever. Nick Saban went to the NFL and got waxed and went right back to college and has been in Alabama since. And it's a different beast. It's a different game. I get that. I just... I don't know. I, I don't love, I like, I like, I like having relative comparisons of success. And I look at this right now and I'm like, I would take Bobby Slowick a million over a million times right now in today's NFL landscape than Jim Harbaugh, because he is doing it right now in a division. That's really hard to win. It's hard to win games in that division right now where the Jaguars have been them, the Titans, you don't know which version you're going to get, right? Like it's, and the Colts weren't like just a slap, team all these teams had a little bit of a say in it till the end bobby slogan did it with a first-year quarterback depleted receiver room a running back that was on i guess in the downturn of his career and he's had success against really good teams so go give me this like apples to apples comparison can he call plays in the nfl right now yes go put him in atlanta versus harbaugh you know what i mean that's what i think we're getting right now I got you. I got you. All right. Well, let's move on to some actual games here. Yeah. Well, we'll start off with the last game of the weekend. Like we always do bills, dolphins, what ended up being a title for the AFC East. Unfortunately, I was kind of rooting for the eventuality where the bills were either the second seed or out of the playoffs. There was still a lot yeah. of volatility. There was, they were playing for the second seed or the seventh seed. They obviously, which is huge for Miami. Buffalo dude. Having home games in the playoffs that changes oh my gosh. their probability from winning that game of actually making it to the super bowl had to have gone through the roof. Like, yeah. And the only other, like the only away game that they could possibly have now is in Baltimore. If they both went out like that's, and those two teams matched up against each other with how they both play. That's kind of, that's a sneaky matchup, man. It's this AF, this NFL playoff in general is going to be wild. Like, I don't, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. No, especially the storylines. I mean, we joked a lot last year about the script, the fact that, McCarthy is playing his old team in the Packers. Stafford's obviously going back to Detroit. You have, yep. you know, the Bills on the rise. The Dolphins are kind of sliding. The, the Chiefs are still lurking somewhere in there in, in, in the three seed. I do want to touch yep. on really quick the Dolphins. 
I seems like the fact that they made the playoffs, you know, we, we talked about the Jags like historic collapse. I don't, I don't know how historic, yeah. historic it was, but pretty embarrassing collapse that the yeah, Jags didn't bad. make the playoffs. Meanwhile, you had the Dolphins here sitting with something like 10 wins with, I think it was three or four games to go. And Buffalo was 500. I think there were seven and seven yeah. at the time. And the Dolphins can't pull off and win the division. And that's a team that you could make the argument really needed to have some home games in the playoffs if they wanted yeah. to, to, to get anywhere. So, I mean, how do you look retrospectively at this Dolphin season? Like we're still dealing with a pretty young coach and two is still pretty young, but at some point you have to nut up and say, Hey, got to go win some games. Yeah. I, I think that for me, the Dolphins get a little more of a pass than other teams, mainly mm -hmm. because I think they're not as good. They were, I don't think they were ever as good as their record indicated when they had 10 wins. I thought like, I thought they were like a nine and seven, like 10. Well, I guess now it'd be 18 or 17 games. I really thought they were like a 10 and seven team. And again, they've been decimated by injuries in this last stretch of the season. And they've been playing like relatively well. Again, they haven't been able to close out games, but they played the Cowboys down to the wire. I think they won that game. Um, mm -hmm. This last game against the Bills, they should have beat the Bills. The Bills have been pretty much on fire. And the punt return changed the game punt return for a touchdown and then again you have no waddle you have no chub you lost your other dn you lost your other other d end like you're i think they were missing a safety or a corner like they they are decimated and still finding way to hang in games and shout out to mike mcdaniel for being as creative as he has been on offense because they're still finding a way to run the ball when like they really don't have a lot working for him right now and I know Tua has thrown some bad picks in the last few weeks, but again, he starts pressing and he's trying to make plays in critical situations. Like he's trying, but the thing with like Tyree kill is Tyree kill is that guy, but he's not the contested catch, like 50, 50 ball guy. And they don't have one. And right now, like playoff type football, which they've been playing playoff type football the last few weeks, you need a guy like Nico Collins that can go win you a 50, 50 ball and a critical third down. And they don't have one of those. Um, and so I think that's, that's what they're going to be looking for this off season. Like, Hey, T Higgins, hmm. a guy that can like get it across the middle up and away. Like they, they're a T Higgins type of receiver away from their offense, really being super elite, but now it's just kind of flashy and like big plays here and there. And I don't think that's sustainable. You're not saying uh chase Claypool's the answer with, uh, you know, getting the ball <laughs> game on the line, I, only seven receptions on the year. And he's the guy Dude, that you go to. It's, it's tough. Cause I watched that play and I like, I saw what Tua saw, but like, Chase had no idea that the guy behind him was coming, so he didn't even think to flatten at the end. If he would have taken a sharp, like, negative angle, he could have at least broken it up. But Tua threw it like he does with anticipation and trust, and it's not a guy you can throw with anticipation and trust to. You got to make sure he's open. Yeah, what do you make of the Bills? Josh Allen didn't have his best game last night, but they still mm -hmm. find a way to win. And now they're probably the hottest team, the team nobody wants yeah. to play in these AFC playoffs. So, I mean, what do you? what's the Bills' recipe for success here going forward? Dude, QB power and like two hitches and take off, Josh. I think, again, his interceptions are like sometimes really ugly. But if you look back at the context of the game, I think he had two interceptions on fourth down. So he's going to throw it regardless. And they just happened to be intercepted. One of them was an arm punt. One of them, like he didn't really give Gabe Davis a chance. Looked like it was an option route or a choice route. And he guessed wrong, threw it right at the DB. So like I know he could have done better on some of those, but like the critical plays of the game where they needed Josh to make a play, he made a play. And he also had a really nice drop touchdown pass by Cook on a corner route, halfback scissors. Check it out. One of my favorite Madden plays. But um, like Josh, stat-wise, didn't look great. But 
like you could feel his presence and they needed, they would not have won that game without him. And I think that's just kind of the Josh Allen experience. So um, like every week, if he can have one less turnover or two less turnovers, it gets a lot cleaner for their, their picture of the game. But um, right now it's, it's working and their defense is making plays too. So it's not like he has to be that guy. It's going to be so fun. I mean, they're getting hot yeah. at the right time. That's all you can ask for in a team that was 500 three quarters of the way through the season. That's it, dude. And all of a sudden they have two home playoff games. Like you, you just have to feel so good about that. No matter what way it took for them to get here, like I guarantee the Bills are really happy that they found a way to be the two seed when they looked like they weren't going to make the playoffs. Literally. It's it's also like an interesting reframing too because the Bills coming into the season were have super bowl aspirations and then you get halfway through the season you're like, shit, we might not even make the playoffs. And now you're back in a position where you're the two seed, so you obviously have expectations again, but it kind of feels like they're playing with, I'll say, house money once again, where there's kind of loose and... Is that is that a sense that you get in the? Sorry, I guess it's hard to think that you could be a two seed. I feel not that have though. Super Bowl no, aspirations, but, but yeah, right. I, I think obviously they have Super Bowl aspirations, and that's like their expectation. But I think there's two different ways to get to the two seed, right? You dominate all year, and you just kind of fall slightly short, and then you're like, all right, we got to turn it on for the playoffs. Or you have the path that they had, and now it's like, shit, we made it. Let's catch our breath. Everything from here on out, everyone's on the same playing field whoever loses is out. And it's like, they, I feel like they were playing from behind for the last five or six weeks and like pressing. And now the other teams are finally going to be pressing because every team they played was not really playing for anything up until this point. And so now you get to finally flip the like anxiety or like the stress of these games onto the other teams where like the dolphins, if they lost last night, okay. Yes. They're not the two seed, but like, okay, they go to the chiefs. The chiefs have been playing not good football. So like, that's not, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm actually more excited to play the Chiefs away than I would have been to play the Bills at home. They have a better chance of beating the Chiefs than they do the Bills, in my opinion. And I just, uh, I don't know, man. I this The same thing that we keep saying, these playoffs are wild, but the storylines in it, it's it's right here, right now. All these teams have a lot to lose. And I would rather be a team like the Packers or the Bills in this same situation than I would the Cowboys or the Dolphins or like one of those teams that like we kind of dropped the ball here. So dangerous teams in the playoffs are really scary to play against teams that just don't know any better there. I mean, I feel like yeah. we'll talk about the Packers here in a second, but they're so young or they're so they've been riding this wave for so long that they're like, it's just going to work out. Like they have some unbridled belief that <laughs> it's just going to yeah. work out. Like how could it not work out? So I, I bring up the Packers. My first, I, I want to get to all the good stuff, but I am the worry keeps creeping back, Kurt, that Joe Barry is going to do just enough to keep his job starting next year. Apparently, the Bears have not been hold under te- held under 10 points all year until this Joe Barry let off defense comes in and puts up a dude. What, what is a masterclass? So, I mean, is he could he perform well enough at the end of the season that we have to deal with another Joe Barry defense next year? I'm going to I'm going to make this a hot take. And I think if Joe Barry does what Joe Barry did the last two weeks, he deserves to keep his job. And he will be an asset for the Packers. Oh my gosh. Now, if he decides to play that weak-ass cover two shell, quarter shell, not blitz people in third down, not blitz peel, not have spies, like his third down package for Justin Fields should be exactly what they do every single week for every quarterback, regardless. Like, play sticky, aggressive defense and be willing. Be willing to lose a big play on a go ball or a 50-50 deep ball. But the fact that they weren't just giving freebies anymore the last really two weeks, especially this past game, 
I can live with that Joe Barry with that Packers defense and now that Packers offense. That's a good recipe. Like I, I hope for Joe Barry's sake that he saved his job because that means that he's coaching like that and calling those types of plays consistently. And you, it's the NFL, man. You have to be willing to let teams make big plays on 50-50 chances because they get paid too. The one thing that you cannot be willing to do is give them freebies. And as long as he's not giving freebies, I think he deserves to keep that job. All right. I'm going to give you a little choice here. We can talk about Aaron Jones and how good he's been the last three games. Or we can talk about Jordan Love in this young receiving core. Both are super exciting, but I feel like Aaron Jones isn't getting talked about enough. So I wanted to present that option to you. Let's talk about Aaron Jones, dude. He is the lifeline of that offense. And what you see with him, and I think the announcer said it the other night, he's just kind of like wiggly and like hard to bring down. And the extra one to three yards that he gets from effort or just like being hard to tackle over the course of a game adds up over 20 touches to an extra 30, 40, 50 yards a game. And you're feeling that right now. Jordan loves feeling it with how he's making decisions. The receivers are feeling it because it's not all on them. And the floor is feeling it because play calling wise, he doesn't need to rely on a huge play that's being dialed up when he can actually get one on a check down or on a run that just pops because Aaron Jones is really damn good. And he's a top 10 running back in the league. Lately, he's been playing like a top five running back. And what, three, I think he had 300 yard games in a row, right? These last few weeks when the Packers needed it most against good defenses. Like, I'm I'm also sorry, like the Panthers defense statistically has been really good this year for how shitty of a team they are. And they put up 30 something points there this last week. Bears defense has been top 12, had another 100 yard game. Like he things have looked different since Aaron Jones got back in the lineup and he's worth every dollar they pay him. They just need to keep him healthy. All right, let's talk about this receiving core because I get flashbacks to a 2011 Sports Illustrated article cover where you have Aaron Mm Rodgers in the middle and this incredible receiving core comprised of Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, Jamichael Finley all around him. I believe the title is something like a perfect pack. And it was the year or the year after they went, you know, 16 and 0 in the regular season. And so Mm -hmm. I get shades of that young receiving core again. It seems like each guy kind of slots into that quintessential role that we had in, in 2011. Who, who are you seeing or, or who you're liking the most? Obviously, Jordan Love is playing fantastic, but these receivers have really come along. Yeah, dude. Each one of them is so like critical to this offense in their own way. <clears throat> and like I really, really love what Wicks has been doing. He's been a stud and UVA legend, shout out. Um, but like what he's been able to do in yards after the catch, contested catches, and just kind of like be in that like when he gets the ball in his hands, he's gonna drop his shoulder. And I think teams feel that and I think the offense feeds off of that. So like that's his style. He is a big weather or big cold weather receiver that the Packers like typically have one or two of those in their lineup, right? So he's been that for them. Now you have Melton, the scrappy guy, like smaller, guy. undersized, going up and getting it, getting smacked across the middle, making plays, having juice, like talking shit in people's face. You need a scrappy guy on that team. And he kind of fits this like I don't know. They're using him some at, at like wide out, but like he reminds me of that like Edelman scrap, right? Like mm-hmm. dude's just going to go out and he's going to be a baller. So they have that and he's come out of nowhere. Then you have Tucker craft who I think is, he has been the missing piece for them this year. And I know they have Musgrave and I know he's like got high hopes and everything, but craft has been a surefire addition, like a good addition to this offense. And he plays this Kelsey role where like he does his job, but he like, it's when he gets the ball in his hands, what happens? And in scrambles, scramble drill, he's really good at scramble drill, seeing the open space. 
Kraft does not just run what is drawn on the playbook. He realizes coverages change. He gets to open space and Jordan and him are on a good connection together. So like they have that off schedule ability together where he's a huge asset now. And then you look at Romeo Dobbs, press him. Don't give him safety help. He can be your back shoulder guy. He can be up and away. He'll jump over somebody like, like scoop the ball off their head. He has that ability. So like none of these receivers, in my opinion, is like none of them are the guy. None of them have that full skill set, but each of them have a skill set that's unique to themselves that are an addition and like a positive factor to this team and this offense. And they're using them the right way right now. So you mix all of that. Oh, and Jaden Reed, the lightning, the lightning bolt on there. Yeah. I was thinking of these other guys that like aren't the guy. Jaden Reed is that guy. Yeah. That you just need to find a way to get him the ball in his hands because he looks like a punt returner every time he gets an open field. Like he could, he could take anything into the house. He has great vision. He has really good hands. He's tough. He's fast. And it seems like he knows every role in the field and guys around him can lean on him for that. I've heard of that in an interview recently, but like you mix all of this stuff together, man. It's like, wow, how did the Packers find these guys? So I'm going to give a shout out to Goot, the mm-hmm. GM, the pro department, the scouting department, and finding these guys all over the league, all over college, that they felt like could fit in right here, right now in this league. And they're using them good. They're using them in a really good way. And I don't know. It's it's fun to see because earlier in the year, it did not look like this at all. And they're finding a way. So, And they're doing this all without the presumptive number one receiver on this team, Christian Watson, who's been yep. out with a hamstring the past couple of weeks. So he comes back, and I think he serves a different role. I also am prisoner to the moment. I, you know, I think I was ready to fire Goot, just like I was Joe Barry, and you know, maybe just clean the slate in week five and six with a lot of other Packers yeah. fans. Because you look back at a lot of drafts without this hindsight, and you're like, who who is this guy drafted outside of yeah. I don't know, like Elton Jenkins, maybe? Yeah. And hear me out though, that, like they still need like I think in this today's today's day and age in the NFL, you need to try to find and hit on a Justin Jefferson as often as you can, and yeah. I would love to see them say F it we're going to get a guy like Marvin Harrison because that in my opinion is what elevates this offense that like, again, if things aren't clicking and guys aren't making plays, they don't have like a safety blanket of a receiver that can just like bail people out. But like you look around the league, like Justin Fields had DJ Moore, like he's been able to be that guy. And Justin Jefferson, obviously for the Vikings has been that guy for a long time, but like these top teams in the league all have a guy that is a generational talent. And I would love for the Packers to not feel too comfortable with their offensive room to go and be like, look, we're going to go take this to the next level. And everyone else's job is going to get easier because this guy is going to demand double coverage. And that's when it gets really scary. So yes, yeah, I would hope that they young, would do that. Especially with the young quarterback. It, it, you look at yep. like the Josh Allen model where they went and got Stefan Diggs for him or you know, Trevor Lawrence gets Calvin Ridley. And it, it's mm-hmm. the, the model of going out and whether it be drafting a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr., should obviously be incredible. Or if it's just getting one of these free agents that comes up, you know, you mentioned a yep. T Higgins or Mike Evans that is going to hit the market soon. Yep. Having some, Even a Mike Evans would be a really yeah. good receiver for green Bay. Like, and he's again, comfort thousand yards every single year. Jordan hasn't had that this year. I just think again, they, they need that. That's like their one missing piece. And it doesn't mean that their guys that they have can't turn into that. It doesn't mean Christian Watson can't or Romeo Dobbs can't whatever, but like, I just think go get someone with a ridiculous high ceiling in the draft that could be a monster or go get a vet that can be that guy in critical situations when they start going, man, and you know you can count on him nine times out of ten. 
Let's look at the Bears for a second. They were trending in a really positive direction. I think they were hoping that this was going to be the launch pad in their offseason where Justin Fields was solidified as the guy. Matt Eberflus was going to be their coach, and they could use this draft capital that they had amassed, the number one pick and now the number nine pick, to maybe get a Marvin Harrison Jr. and then launch with a talented young defense and a talented young offense. Now it looks like they're going the other direction where yeah. a lot of uncertainty if Eberflus is the coach next year. If Justin Fields is the quarterback, he was talking at a press conference like he might not be back next year. What do you do here if you're Ryan Poles, the Bears GM? How do you make sense of this offseason? Dude, you've got, in my opinion, you cannot afford to let Justin Fields walk because you put a lot of uncertainty in one position that like how many of these guys are hits in the NFL and how many can translate right here, right now? We're like, that's the thing. You have to win next year or you're all fired. So what gives you the best chance to win next year? Because you're playing for your job for next year. May, Justin Fields may not be the best thing for the, the Bears franchise for the longevity. I think he's a really good player, and I think they'd be dumb to get rid of him. But like maybe there's a guy that has a higher ceiling. Who knows? But you are coaching and you're GMing for your job for next year. And if you risk that by going with a young rookie quarterback, you're probably not going to get a CJ Stroud that's ready to do it right now. Most guys need time to develop. They need, I mean, it's just, that's how the NFL is. So if you're willing to risk that, you got to be willing to sleep in that bed that you made and know that your margin for error is that much smaller because you already know that you can win with Justin Fields. You're just missing some pieces around him. Like, like they need some help. And I don't know. I just don't think, I don't think you can risk it unless, unless they're just telling polls, like, look, man, we're going to give you another three to five years if you can, if you want to go take a young rookie quarterback because you're probably going to need it. That's how the mm -hmm. NFL is. So, and then I also look at other teams around the league. I'm like, damn, where could Justin Fields go right now with their roster and actually elevate their their operational and offense? And one of the teams that's actually sticking out to me, and I know I might get some hate for this, is the Eagles. Like, I think Justin Fields has a way higher ceiling than Jalen Hurts, and I, I don't I don't even think that's like an outlandish take. Jalen Hurts has that dog in him, yes, and he can make some throws in critical situations, but imagine if Justin Fields was able to run his style of offense with Swift in the backfield, A.J. Brown out wide, Devonta Smith, Goddard. Like, like he's an actual dynamic runner where I don't think Hurts is a dynamic runner. And with what they're running, it's just like, I don't know. I, I think there are places in the NFL that wish they had Justin Fields, and I don't know. I think I think he gets too much slack because he's a Chicago Bear. I think it's also the difference, and nowhere is it more clear than between Green Bay and Chicago. The organizational stability that exists, especially around quarterbacks, you have yeah. an organization like Justin Fields who they enter an offseason again with uncertainty whether he's the guy, uncertainty whether the coach is the guy. And so you always have this cycle of like, a new quarterback, a new coach, a new quarterback, a new yep. coach, a new GM, a new quarterback, a new coach. And so there's never... There's never like stability for that guy to settle in. And I'm sure you probably think about this a lot at the quarterback position. It's hard to have a new OC every year. It's hard to have yeah. a new coach every year. It's hard to have rotating personnel. Whereas in green Bay, they have this tradition of just having a guy sit behind, you know, fortunately a hall of fame level quarterback and they have yeah. stability in the, in, in the coaching room and stability in the front office where it's just got to be so much easier. And, and I'm not entirely convinced that, Justin Fields wouldn't be as successful as Jordan Love if he was in Green Bay, just due to the stability. And maybe Jordan Love yeah. struggles like Justin Fields has struggled in Chicago. I think it's a lot more to do with the organization around him and not just, oh, Justin Fields sucks, therefore he should not yep. be on a team next year. 
I totally agree with you. And that's, dude, how many times do you see guys just needing a change of scenery to have success? And right now, I just don't know if if I'm just if I'm Justin Fields, I'm hoping I get shipped out. Like I'm at that point where it's like, look, damn, the Lions are going to be them for a while. The Vikings are probably going to get better next year. The Packers for sure are going to be better next year. They are the youngest team in the league and they're in the playoffs. Like <clears throat> I think Chicago has the worst next three to five year outlook of most teams in that division or of the teams in that division minus their draft picks. That could speed up that timeline to two, three years, but like next year, I don't know how, how much of an influence are those draft picks going to have on the team next year? History says not as much as you think in year one for those guys. That's like a two to three year thing. And, and Justin Fields doesn't have that time. I don't know, man. I just, if I'm Justin Fields, I'm like, dang, ship me down to Atlanta, man. Like, let me go, let me go ride out with Bijan, with Drake London, with Kyle Pitts, with a new OC that knows like how to use me the best of my, to the best of my ability. And not that Luke Getze has not done that. Like Getze has turned it on for them, especially in the last like 10 week stretch for his season. And they've done really well, but it just, it feels like this dark cloud of whatever and like unappreciation for what Justin Fields can do and has done for a franchise that has sucked ass. And I think that he could go down to Atlanta right now, maybe Justin Fields to Atlanta, Bobby Sloak to Atlanta, mesh that offense together of what CJ Stroud has been doing with those weapons. And you might get a full revival in Atlanta and he might be the next coming of Mike Vick, if not better. That's what the ceiling says. So I don't know. I just, I, I really hope, I really hope that happens. And I might have mm -hmm. to recreate that in Madden because I think that could be fire. That would be fire. That would be fire. All right. Let's, let's breeze through some of these other games. The Bucks clinch beat the Panthers in yeah. a riveting nine or nothing matchup. The Bucks now take on the Eagles. Do either of these teams excite you <laughs> at all? In the playoffs? No, this is the worst like... Monday game of all time. Honestly, I can't believe, right? I can't believe this is what, this should be the game that has to get over with on Saturday. This, yeah. The traditional hmm. Houston Texans time slot on Saturday. Yeah, hear me out though. Hear me out here. Why, why is it convenient enough that Jalen Hurts dislocates his finger and all of a sudden gets an extra day or two of rest by scheduling? Hmm. Conspiracy? I don't know. They got a favorable schedule for that injury that he had. I'll I'll just say that. But this game does not excite me. Sorry, Roddy, in the background. It's not even worth talking about because I think both teams with how they've been playing in the last few weeks, aren't playoff teams. And somebody's got to have a first-round exit, so it's got to be one of them, right? But both yeah. of these teams, if they had matched up against anybody else, probably first-round exit. I was going to ask you, actually, about the Justin Fields thing. He exited the game. Three plays later, there was a slide that he had. Some guy came in, kind of popped him. Maybe a little late. I think a lot of quarterbacks maybe get that call. There was some discourse that Justin Fields doesn't get those calls. He goes into the blue medical tent three plays later and comes back out in, I don't know, 15 seconds, 15 seconds. Yeah. Less than yeah. a minute. <laughs> What's going on in that blue medical tent. And then how can they, cause that is the third party, the NFL's third party testing for concussions. How do you test a guy for a concussion in 15 seconds? And how does it take three plays to decide there's if no you way. want to do that? There's no way. And there should be an investigation because that, that honestly is, and again, critical point in the game. Hear me out. If, if it was not upcoming third down in the red zone, would Justin Fields have stayed in that tent longer? That's the question that I have. And you cannot, you literally cannot tell me that he would have came out of that tent as fast had their drive have had ended on the play prior. 
he probably would have spent a few minutes in there. The entire defensive drive in there, most likely, but because they had the ball, because they were in red zone territory, third down was coming up, they got him back out there as quick as possible. How? Tell me how. What are they? What are they doing in that tent? So obviously it was 15 seconds. They bring you in. What do they normally do? What are they checking for? I mean, I can only imagine they took him in there and it was like Friday night lights, smelling salts. Get back out there, kid. We got a you know we got a game to win, dude. I, well, normally there's like a full like test you have to take for like they ask you questions, they prompt you, they do the eye track test. Like there's like steps to be had, and I just don't know how they did that in a minute. And then if you have anything, then you take a longer test if you have like symptoms or whatever. But I'm like. There's no, there's just no physical way that all of that was done in the matter of time that he was off the field, on the field, and back in the game. He only, he missed one play, I believe. He missed one play. One play, like, and <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, it's kind of wild to me. But it is okay. Yeah, that's. I won't even get into it because I I dog the NFL enough, but it's definitely questionable. Very it was cool. eyebrow raising for everybody watching. I mean, they were like, how yeah. how is it was one weird that it took three plays for him to even get pulled pulled out and then yeah. two it was weird that it only took them 15 seconds to decide to have a concussion but regardless houston clinches they actually won the asc south after that fantastic collapse by by the jags uh to have, mm-hmm. to have such a lead and then i even make the playoffs it seems like cj stroud is helped solidify his case for offensive rookie of the year although like i will talk about in a second puka nakua is out here breaking records so this actually seems like one of the more competitive <clears throat> year-end awards where we have you know, yeah. uh, we have a lot of other MVP type offensive play of the year types locked up. Offensive rookie of the year might be a close race. Yeah, Puka has done everything and he's been nothing short of sensational. But I will say that the one like asterisk that I have on that is Matt Stafford. And Matt Stafford has been known to triple crown, quad crown. Like he's getting fed by a guy that knows how to feed receivers. And that is not to take anything away from Puka. On the flip side, C.J. Stroud, what he has done has been even more extraordinary. Like, how many times does a quarterback, as a rookie, come in and do what he's done? I don't think ever, to that extent. And to elevate a team the way he has, without the guys, the marquee name guys that he has had, like, nobody was talking about Nico Collins before this year, besides me. But what he has done has been the most impressive of anything. But that is not to take away from how impressive Puka has been. Just just happened to be in the same category for the same award that Stroud should win. So um, both of them are going to have a great career. I think Puka, man, Puka could be the way, the things that I see him do and how he makes contested catches and contort, like can contort his body for how big he is. He has such a unique skill set that is really hard to do. Normally it's thinner guys that are like more twitchy or whatever. He's able to do it with his body while also being like an inside receiver that can dig out and block. Like that's the type of receiver that can have a really, really, really long career. And it'll probably break a lot of records long-term. So both of them are going to be really, really good. CJ Stroud more impressive this year, mainly because of how much his back was against the wall with the situation he was in. Yeah. It's pretty funny how they were, <laughs> the 49ers were really trying to not let Puka get that record. Yeah. And they yeah. eventually, you know, eventually snags a catch, gets a couple yards. And then McVay yeah. yanks him promptly after that. Yeah. It's obviously, they're all that that was at the top of everybody's mind. I mean, that's all they're thinking about in that game, I'm mm-hmm. sure. 100%. And that's dude, these coaches know, the players know, they know the incentives, they they know it all. Like it's we have a lot of week to prep, to talk ball all the time in the meeting rooms and all these things come up and everyone is very hyper aware of what's at stake for each team, each player. You looked at Chris Long and Kyle Long on their podcast talking about uh like incentives for sacks where 
defensive line will be fighting over sacks because they get paid per sack basically on bonuses. And then equally Kyle Long, knowing he's got a guy that he's got to stop from getting a sack to make a million dollars. And he felt that was personal. Like those types of stories. It's real. Everybody knows. Yeah. What do you make of this now Puka cup dynamic? You know, maybe not a conversation we have until the off season. I'm sure you know the Rams are happy. They have both of them, but does this make cup expendable in any way? He had a down season dealing with injuries a lot, but it seems like Puka's now taken up this mantle of high volume guy and yeah. there's only one ball and that was kind of Cup's game for a long time. Yeah, I think it it definitely um makes Cup a little more expendable. I think they they can afford to bring him back on a lighter contract. And I think it would make other teams a little more wary of having Cup. Um yeah, is he is he a free agent after this season? I don't think so. No. So I mean they don't have to worry about it for now, but I do think like look Puka's the more explosive, reliable receiver right now. And Cup's getting older. Puka's young and in the prime of his career. So I think that at this point, it's everyone knows what it is. Yeah. How do you feel about these Texans now heading to the playoffs? I feel like they're just the AFC Packers, and maybe with a yeah. slightly better story because I think the Texans yeah. are a bit of an easier <laughs> organization to root for if you're not a fan of them than the yeah. Packers are. But how do you think they might fare in these playoffs? Dude, I actually, I actually think they could upset. I think they could upset the Browns this week. Um, again, it depends on what you do to Joe Flacco and the the defense for the Texans can either be super stingy or they can just let all hell break loose, right? Like you don't really know which version is going to show up. They're kind of young, but they are known to create turnovers, and that's one thing that Joe Flacco has not done well, in my opinion. He's turned over the ball a little bit too much, um, and he's also benefited from his defense to be able to do that and be more aggressive. So. I also think that CJ Stroud's the one type of quarterback that could hang in a little bit longer, hit the crossing routes with people in his face, scramble, extend plays that I don't know if the Browns have really seen somebody like him in the last little bit of their stretch of their schedule and their season. So this matchup's a sneaky one. I don't think this is a cakewalk for the Browns. And I think that the Texans could actually steal this one away from them. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting one. I think, uh, you know, Stroud obviously doesn't make a lot of mistakes and the yeah. Browns defense is, is pretty stout. So Cleveland has a has a great story and they get a little rest heading into this week, but it's, I mean it's kind of a battle of narratives here. Right? Yep, I mean, it is, Texans dude. are fun to root for, and the Browns are one of the hottest teams in the league behind a, yep. a fire in the pan, Joe Flacco. It's all coming coming to a head this week, dude. I'm like, like, dang, can we just get to Saturday already? Like, we got to go through Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, what? Like, yeah. get me past I've, this national championship game. I'm I need the NFL. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk this Dolphins Chiefs game. So a bit of weather coming down. I'm located in Minnesota. I know you're probably not getting this down Mm. in Florida, but it's going to be chilly here this week. And it looks like the forecast for this game at Arrowhead is going to be in the the teens. And I don't know if it's a night game, but by the time kickoff happens or by the end of the game, we might be in some single digit weather. I don't know if this Dolphin team, obviously they've had trouble beating any good team, much less on the road. Do you see the weather being a factor at all? Do you think the Dolphins are just another one of these teams that's happy to be here or are the Chiefs susceptible to to an upset now? I think this could go both ways again. This is like, I'm so not sure about a lot of these games in this uh, wild card weekend, super wild card weekend. Um, it's going to be, can they contain Tyreek and can they stop HM from getting on the edges? And if they can, I wouldn't be too concerned if I was the Chiefs. I think that Mahomes and his guys can find up enough explosive. They can muster up enough explosive plays to win this game offensively. I think Kelsey needed a break. I think he needed some rest. Hopefully his legs look a little more fresh and he doesn't feel so beat up. And then they need Rice to show up. They need him to be a guy like he has been in the last few weeks of the season. And again, I feel like we get to this point in the year 
round one of the playoffs. Maybe the Chiefs didn't have the best season, but they're the Chiefs at home in the playoffs. I definitely wouldn't bet against them. And the Dolphins have been spiraling. So this could go either way, but I'm leaning Chiefs. And I think Mahomes finds a way to get it done. Is there such a thing as an on switch for a team like the Chiefs? You hear that term thrown around where they're not playing well and then they just decide to play well come playoff time. Does that exist? And how does that even work? It does. And I think it comes down to like those extra yards that guys are willing to fight for over the course of 60 plays a game on offense, right? Like that extra one to two yards that might risk injury. It's not worth it in the regular season when you already know you have the division in the bag. Like, what's the difference from them in like 11 and six to 13 and four, like 10, you know what I mean? 10 and seven, whatever. Not a whole lot this year because their division sucked. So now that it's win or you go home, I think you'll see more fight out of them consistently, which again, that's not the best way to play football in my opinion, but it just, it doesn't look like they've had that switch on and we know the chiefs and come playoff time, they somehow find a way to flip that switch every single year and make a run. So that's kind of what I'm expecting for them. And I think I think Mahomes has that in him too. So we have Buffalo taking on Pittsburgh in Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. We've talked about how hot Buffalo is right now, but Pittsburgh has had this interesting roller coaster of a season where they seem dead, you know, calls for Mike Tomlin's job. Kelsey Brothers did not like that, by the way. I know we've yeah. talked about it a bit, how it might be time for a new guard in, in, in Pittsburgh. But at the same time, we got Mike Tomlin dragging the Steelers to 10 wins, albeit against a Ravens team that, wasn't necessarily trying to win last week, but do you think there's any magic that the Steelers have left? The quarterback situation is really confusing to me. The fact that Kenny Pickett's healthy, but not playing like, what are these dynamics going on in Pittsburgh right now? Dude, I think they're just one of those teams that's happy to be at the party and like, they're going to have to go up to Buffalo. I think they're going to try to run the ball, Najee Harris and Warren and like create some running back explosives. But like, they're just, I think they're happy to be at the party and their only recipe to win this is by, controlling the clock and leaning on people for four or five, six yards a pop. And I think they didn't expect to be in the playoffs. They had a, a sliver of hope on the outside looking in and somehow the Jags fumbled the bag and it gave them right back to the, to the Steelers. So full circle moment there with that clip where he's waving the towel. But um, if the bills just don't bill around and like turn the ball over and do stupid shit, they should handle them. But again, also big, missing piece with TJ Watt out. Like, I don't know. That's, that's their game record. And I don't know. I don't think, I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers can do it. Yeah. I mean, they're not a particularly exciting team. I am yeah. curious, this dynamic of riding the hot hand when it comes to a quarterback, is mm-hmm. that just a coach admitting that you know, neither of these guys are very good. So we're just going to go recency bias. The one that's been yeah. playing the best. And like, what does that do for Kenny Pickett's confidence? You know, he gets drafted <sighs> to be, the guy quote unquote now he's just not the guy shit like he's he hasn't been the guy and i think it's been very clear that he's not the guy for a while now so it's like all right let's just rip this band-aid off mason rudolph's not the guy in the future most likely but we know pickett's not let's just see what happens let rudolph get out there throw some bombs to pickens hopefully make hopefully make some crazy plays but mason rudolph can run the offense he's not going to move for shit he's going to have a turnover here there but like we at least know it's not going to look like what kenny pickett has it look like and we know that Mason can throw it and get it to where it needs to go consistently when he's untouched. So I think that's what they're riding with and hoping that they can just lean on their running backs and squeak out a win. We'll see another one of these games where you kind of know the outcome, you know, hopefully you root for like an entertaining finish possibly. Mm-hmm. I, I also, feel, I don't know how you feel about this, Kurt. 
I feel like when I look at a Pittsburgh versus Buffalo, I, I want to see Buffalo keep playing. I have no dog in the fight, but Pittsburgh yeah. bores me. I want to see Buffalo keep playing. And so I'm just rooting for some of these games in terms of the storyline. Like I, yeah. I just don't want to see bad teams continue to win. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely where I'm at. I'm like looking at this slate and I'm like, I don't really want the Browns to win because I like Houston's story better. But sure. it's nothing against the Browns. I do, if the Browns win, I'm like, oh, cool. We get to watch like this Browns defense, Joe Flacco, whatever. That's that's a cool story. But I definitely like Houston's story better. Pittsburgh, it was a cool season. Way to find a way. Like We'll be seeing you because I want to see the, how does this Bills story play out when they have to play another team or maybe even end up in Baltimore. Like I want to see that. I want to see Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson in an AFC Championship game. I want to see Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott or Brock Purdy and Jordan Love in an NFC championship. I want to see that. Like, yeah, give me TV and like, give it to me. Give me, give me the, the NFL entertainment league, because I want to see it. I want to see it. I know we talked about this last week and then it came out with Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey basically being like, you guys are idiots for saying Mike Tomlin should be fired. If I was a, if I was a Steelers fan, I don't know if I'd feel that he's basically like, Mike Tomlin's just like a higher achieving Pete Carroll in the past couple of years where yeah. you're, you're in it until the very end. It's kind of exciting. You're, you're doing more than what your roster maybe allows you to do. But at the end of the day, your ceiling is like a first round exit in the playoffs. And, and then you go to yourself in the offseason and it's like, okay, we're going to yeah. do this again. Like, yeah. I remember this being a dialogue with the Packers. It's like, maybe we should just, you know, it's like week six. It's like, maybe we should just tank because all we're competing for is the right to get the yeah. 14th pick in the NFL. And what good is that? What good does that do? And, for the Steelers, that's kind of what they have been doing for the last 10 years, it feels like. Yeah, well, they they messed up by getting Kenny Pickett. Did you – what is he, pick number – he was 15th overall pick or whatever in the first round? I don't think he was – that was a horrible – that was like the Malik Willis draft. And yeah. was it Pickett that was the first quarterback taken yeah, I in think that so. draft? Uh, and I'll, my, I'll my whole thing talk, is like, dude, yeah. you cannot draft a quarterback in the first round with a low ceiling. Like – You've got you've got to go get a guy that you think can turn into this generational talent. Like, because you look at all the other positions besides quarterback, all first round draft picks have high ceilings, and that's what you're hoping that you can get him to reach that ceiling more often than not. You knew what you were getting with Kenny Pickett. You thought that he was going to compete in a division against Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Deshaun Watson. Like, Deshaun Watson played terrible this year, but at least he has a high ceiling. You know what I mean? Like. Like where does that add up? And and that's the thing for me. It's not even so much. I think Mike Tomlin's a great coach. I think their roster mismanagement, whoever that falls on, and I don't know their their hierarchy. That's the problem with the Steelers. How do you not load up across the board when you're in a division that's loading up? You have you play against Lamar Jackson and that nasty defense, who at least went out and got Odell Beckham. They at least tried to get a receiver like that. Then they got Zay Flowers, who's a dog. But like, what are they doing in Pittsburgh? Then you also have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. You got Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. Like you got that star-studded roster with the Bengals. At least they're trying to get names and like make something happen. I just yeah, you're not even giving yourself a fighting chance. You think you're going to outcoach people? Like you can outcoach your way into a seventh seed, but like you need dudes to compete in the NFL. That's the one you've never seen a good coach with bad players make it to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I completely doesn't agree. happen. Like I completely agree. So back to, yeah. back to what you were saying, uh, there's actually the 20th pick in the 2022 draft. And to be fair, I don't remember exactly the position they were in. I think Ben retired the year before. And so they were back against the wall, had to draft a QB. And, you know, obviously Bert Purdy was Mr. Relevant that year. So Pickett won't end up being the best QB in that draft. But 
frankly, he might very well be the second best well, QB in that can draft. You go, can you go to that draft real quick and like see who were some of the guys taken right up. after him? Do you want any position? Yeah, like just yeah, some of the yeah. names that are studs. Sure. Trent McDuffie picked picked directly after him. Uh, Quay Walker, a couple picks after. Yep. Um, you have Tyler Linderbaum uh, by the Ravens, uh, pick 25. Uh, I'm trying to scroll through here. George Karloftis taken at the end of that round. Uh, Christian Watson, obviously, by the Packers. You have Brees Hall. Not that Brees they were Hall. really in the, the running back market at the time. Um, yep. Kenneth Walker taken a few picks later. Stud. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are guys here on the board. But again, when you... I'm I'm gonna go go that. the free agent route is my thing. Like you cannot yeah. Kenny Pickett in any other draft was a third, fourth, fifth, sixth round quarterback. You're gonna take him in the first round because you need a quarterback. Just go get a bridge guy for a year because his ceiling was never high. Like, meanwhile, you have dogs that you know first round linebackers, first round corners, first round receive. Like, at least their ceilings are high. Like, I just don't think you can invest that type of capital into a guy where you know his ceiling is just, what's the best he can be? Right? Like Drew Brees? Like Drew Brees would never have been a first-round quarterback. And he had a hell of a career. But again, he needed guys around him. And there's no there's no shame in that. Every quarterback needs guys around him. But like, I think if you're going to take a quarterback in the first round, you got to go off a ceiling and what could be. And that's what they did with Josh Allen. If you remember that draft, it was Baker Mayfield. Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Lamar Jackson. The Ravens got Lamar Jackson after all those guys. They took the guy in the first round with the highest ceiling. Lamar uh, or Josh Allen had the highest ceiling out of any of those. He had a higher ceiling than Baker, higher ceiling than Sam Darnold, higher ceiling than Rosen, and he still slid. And I'm just like, you got to go with the higher ceiling guy. Maybe he never puts it all together, but you got to. All right, let's preview the Green Bay Dallas matchup. I'm going to start with the coaches. Who do you see having the advantage when it comes to the guy on the sideline? Obviously, you have McCarthy, former Packers coach, Lafleur, coaching really well, but then you have some liabilities on the defensive side of the ball for Green yeah. Bay. Meanwhile, Dan Quinn, one of the best DCs in the league. Which team do you think has the edge here? I think that the, I think the Packers, as of right now, have the offensive edge, mainly in situational football. And again, they blundered a bad one this past weekend, but consistently. They've been better than McCarthy has been in situational football and in the red zone. McCarthy in the red zone is sketchy and critical situations. Like I don't trust him, but I also know that Dan Quinn is a hell of a coach is very sharp and can cover up a lot of holes defensively that I I don't think they've been able to cover up in the past, which gives the Cowboys more opportunities. So this one, in my opinion, is like split down the middle and I don't, I don't think either has an edge. This game is going to come down to who does not F this up. Somebody's going to F it up on, was it Sunday that they're playing? Mm, yes, Sunday at 325. Some, somebody's going to F up this game. And whichever side does not F it up is the side that's going to win. I don't think this is going to be like a sh- like a shootout where it's like offensive powerhouses, like just cleaning it out. Both defenses are really good. And it's going to come down to a two-minute drill before half, two-minute drill after half, a red zone turnover, something stupid that is going to change this game, maybe even special teams. But that's all I'd be looking for in this game is, look, both these teams match up really well. If you didn't know either team's record and just based on how they're playing in the last month, I don't think I'd give the Cowboys as much of an edge as they're getting based on what Vegas is saying. But we'll see how it plays out. Um, Again, you got a a seasoned team and a young team and a team with a lot to lose and a team with absolutely nothing to lose. This is the matchup of the week, in my opinion, in the playoffs. Yeah, so you've done a couple – 
QB breakdowns on this channel, the Pocket Presence channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done one of Jordan Love even, which was great. And I think we might even have another one coming soon. Yep. Dak Prescott obviously playing really well lately. Where do those two guys stack up for you right now heading yeah. into this matchup? Yeah, um, I think that Dak is playing really, really, really good football when he has a clean pocket. I think as soon as he, I think Jordan Love is handling pressure better than Dak's handling pressure. Dak is more electric from a clean pocket than Jordan is. I think Dak's right now, his ball placement, and again, I can't even knock it on Jordan because he's been playing lights out, but Dak has been playing nearly perfect when all things are good. So again, does Joe Barry heat him up? Does he try to bring pressure? Does he get a free one? Like, what is Dak going to do when things are off schedule and he's got guys in his face and Rashawn Gary's, you know, breathing down his neck? The Packers defense has a star studded line that isn't talked about enough because we covered up with Joe Barry freebies in the passing game with their zones. If they just man up and try to go like man to man, maybe have a plugger and just blitz, bring five, whatever they decide to do up front, I think it can be a really awkward game or uncomfortable game for Dak, but we'll see how it goes. Let's move on now. Another NFC super wildcard matchup. we got the Rams and the Lions, maybe storyline of the year with Matt Stafford coming back to Detroit. Mm-hmm. I don't think, were they ever in a playoff game, Stafford and, and the Lions? Did they ever Ooh, make it even, sneak in as a wild card? I don't even know. Maybe. They certainly never won one. The, the last time the Lions won a playoff game was in 1991. Also, the last time they won the yeah. division at the time was the NFC Central. In any case, really good storylines. Both fun teams to pull for. You obviously have the, the Lions, which are, who are on the ascendant. Um, I think there's a lot of fun aspects we can pull apart there. I have a question for you, Kurt as it pertains to the Rams, because it seems like they're trying to bridge different generations of players. You have these young guys, you have the Kyron Williams, yeah. Puka Nakua's, and then you have the old guard with Aaron Donald and Matt Stafford still in there. And they're, it seems like they're trying to do this weird transition thing. I won't yeah. call it a rebuild, but maybe a reload. What do you, what are you seeing from the Rams right now? And what do you think their, their prospects are even outside of this game? Like in the next five years, what's the direction the, this organization is headed? I think they, they nailed it this last draft or two. And they got enough guys that like can be staples of their offense, staples of their team. They need some help on defense for sure. But I think they've done a good enough job to where like, all right, you, you secured your running back, you secured your receiver, like Stafford, how much longer does he want to play? We'll see. Um, but it's, I still, I still like the Lions in this game. I think the Lions have the more overall complete team. And I also think that Stafford is susceptible to air mailing a few. We watched them a few weeks ago against the Giants which version of Stafford's going to show up in this game is going to determine the outcome in this game, in my opinion. He's the one guy that you're going to get good Matt or bad Matt, and it can make it for a long day on either side, depending on which one you get. So I'd imagine he's going to be on his A game, going back home to Detroit with a different team, different uniform. And again, you also see it from Goff's perspective. He was like chewed up, spit out, and sent to the curb from the Rams. So he's got a little redemption game in him too. This is... uh. This for me, man, like I really want to see what Amon Ra St. Brown does. And I want to see what Montgomery does because I think Gibbs is the better running back, but DeMont, when he can churn out five to eight yards a pop, control the clock, then slash him with Amon Ra, like those guys are the lifeline of that offense, in my opinion. And I want to see the Lions offense just go take this game and be like, look, all the other narratives are out the door. We're that offense that can go do this right now, regardless of any other thing that happens in this game. And I think that they can. 
with Stafford coming back to Detroit, I, I mean, it's a win or go home game. Dan Campbell seems like the most intent, intense guy in the world. I, I imagine there would be some sentimental feelings some positive reception from fans. But I mean, do you think Dan Campbell is thinking about that at all? Or do you think it's kind of bite their kneecaps off, chew them out, spit yeah. them back, you know, spit it back at him sort of a mentality? Yeah, I think they're spitting them back out. I think they're they're going to kill this game. <laughs> yeah, and no hugs and kisses before the yeah, game. Yeah, none of it. I think I think they're going to send it. And like that's that's the thing too. I know that the Lions are the number two seed, right? I still no. think. Wait, what are they? No, they're the three. Yeah. Detroit so the line. So the Lions are the three seed. I still think they play and look at this like they're a wild card team. Like I don't think that they have this like we've arrived to them. I think their back still feels like it's up against the wall because of the Lions. And that's just how it is. And I think that they're going to show up with that mentality. And I think they're going to make a deep run. All right. A game I don't want to spend too much more time on. We previewed it a little bit earlier. Yeah. I think we did we did it justice, but this this Bucks Eagles game. Yeah. Again, the hilarity, I'll I'll bring it up again, the hilarity of the Eagles just absolutely spiraling. What what do you think this team can do to pull it together? Is there like a band-aid solution that can happen when a team is spiraling this bad? Or you just kind of have to take your hands off the wheel and and, and let Dude, let fate take its course? They need a new offense coordinator, in my opinion, because they're so vanilla. And the only chance they have this game is to absolutely feed DeAndre Swift. Like when he gets a lot of touches and gets an open space, and they got to do it creatively. They can't just run these inside zones and expect him to just ride the wave and cut back. Like they need to get him into open space creatively and find a way to do it in a week because it's obviously not been in their game plan much. When he is rolling, their offense is rolling. And they need to they need to do everything in their power to get him running and open like the Packers have been for Aaron Jones this last month. Baker didn't play well last week. Baker had been playing well the, the weeks prior. You know, is this like a are we in the Baker Mayfield redemption arc right now where maybe he's earning himself a couple million bucks? In a, in a in a contract next year but yeah <laughs> coming like, back around or like i th- i think he's the guy but he's also playing hurt right now and i don't know what his injuries fully are but like he could barely walk in that game last week when they won 9-0 against the panthers i think it was 9-0 wasn't it yeah and could barely walk had a bad week week before like they're not so hot right now and they look like a really worn down team so like the eagle like this is a game i would not touch with a 10 foot pole like i just Either team could win. Either team could lose it. Like this, is just going to be, in my opinion, one of those games of which version of these teams shows up today. Because I don't know. I I think Baker Baker's done a lot of really good stuff this year, but I don't know if he has any juice left in the tank with all the injuries that he's piled up throughout the season. He's taken a beating, um, but we'll see. I you know, toward all those wonders, I guess. <laughs> it's one of these games where you just have to appreciate it now because come April, May, June, you're going to wish you had. Baker Mayfield and the struggling Eagles to watch on TV or yeah, last week. You, you're going to wish you had Carson Wentz and Sam Darnold Dude, playing each a, other in, in SoFi Stadium. Game. I that's mean, that's wild. like a, a blast from the past from 2018, 2019. 100%. Two teams Pre-COVID. in playoff contention. Pre-COVID, two teams in playoff contention led by Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz. What if because I told you? <laughs> yeah. Just in totally different uniforms. All right. Well, this is going to be... Very, very exciting. I mean, I, yeah. I, one of the most exciting playoffs, and I, I would say one of the playoffs where I don't think there, there's two teams at the top clearly in each division. I think the one seeds in, in the AFC and the NFC are the odds on odds on favorite, and I think a lot of fans believe that as well. But besides that, you could see pretty much any team. It feels like maybe you know maybe not some of these seven seeds, but it feels like you could see pretty close to any team making a deep playoff run, which makes this really exciting. Yeah, dude. This this feels like 
the slate is uh, fully packed. We don't really know what's going to happen, and I'm just excited to see it play out. I think by the first like quarter of each game, you should know which teams are more ready than the others. Um, so that's what I'm going to be looking out for. But I'm just glad, like, I'm really glad the NFL switched to having one more team in, one less team with a bye. It feels like this is how it should have been for a while, and I'm glad we're finally there. I completely agree. That bye seems to mean quite a bit now. Yeah, yeah. When only one team gets it, it's a true advantage in my opinion. So, but yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm I'm excited to get into it. We're gonna have obviously another episode coming up on Friday, right before the action. But man, it's this was a good one. We had a lot to talk about. We have some really exciting stuff coming up. Got some more breakdowns going up on YouTube and whatnot. But uh, man, it's we're here. We're finally here. We made it. NFL playoffs, and the Packers made it. Crazy Can't stuff. So, until next time, thank you guys for listening. Tuning in, Tyler, have a good rest of your day. Catch you next time.